You didn't even tell me we were recording. Yeah, I know. It's fine. Welcome to Cage Off. This <laughs> is Logan, and I'm coming out of my cage, and I'm feeling just fine. All right. Um, what's, your na- what's your name? <laughs> I'm Ashley. It's already a shit show. It's fine. This is the podcast dedicated to answering the question... What is the best Nicolas Cage film? I did have some people comment on a Facebook post I made. And uh-huh. uh, one of them said that Moonstruck is the best Nicolas Cage film. And the other one said Vampire's Kiss. Um, there was also somebody who said Raising Arizona, Dog Eat Dog. Those are both votes for what the best film um, could I've not seen be. any of these besides Vampire's Kiss. Neither have I, but it looks like uh, we got some contenders on here, according to my uh, very think, robust Facebook audience. Do you think you'll have the um, bracket ready by the time this episode comes out? Absolutely. Okay. I it'll, believe It'll you. be ready at the end, by the time we're done recording this episode. I mean, you can't work on it while we're recording. Okay, after we record. Don't worry What about are you it. doing? It'll be done. Okay. Anyway, um, today we are going to be putting... Rumblefish up against Mom and Dad. Rumblefish was one of Nicolas Cage's first films. It was his like second one, right? Yeah, it was uh, right after he did Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Right, which he had a very small part in. Which are we covering Fast Times? I don't believe so. He was so it was such a small role. Yeah, uh, and he didn't really do much in that. Gotcha. But anyway, Rumblefish is a Francis Ford Coppola film, which is relevant because Nicolas Cage is himself a Coppola. He is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, you know, nepotism. It's real it's real cool. Um and Mom and Dad is a newer film, I believe came out in 2018. Um, so we're looking at one of his first films and a more... 2017 is when Mom and Dad came out. Well, I think that was when it got, like, a festival release, but I think it got, like, an actual, like, home, like, on-demand release in America. Oh, on-demand release. As with a lot of his later films, they just kind of, they don't get a, a theatrical, a theatrical release. They get, you know, dropped onto, you know, Amazon or whatever. Um, we thought it would be neat to discuss... A recent film and put up against one of his oldest films so we're gonna start with rumblefish i think yeah we are um i'm just gonna read the premise uh from imdb here came out october 8th 1983 directed by francis ford coppola as we've said uh the premise rusty james an absent-minded street thug struggles to live up to his legendary older brother's reputation and longs for the days when gang warfare was going on yeah um, I have so much to say about this film. When Please. We'll that in just a minute. Okay. But, uh, the really cool thing about this film is they call it avant-garde film noir. Um, so mm-hmm. it's based off of like French films. Yeah, it's um, black and white, except for a very small thing later on, which yeah. we'll discuss. But this is based off the novel by Essie Hinton, mm-hmm. who also wrote The Outsiders. This also came out by this in the same year. They were shot back to back. Francis Ford Coppola also directed The Outsiders movie, which um, I assume more people have seen. Than yeah, if you've seen The Outsiders, it, it has they both have Matt Dillon and Diane Lane in them. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know who those people are, look them up. Look up The Outsiders. If you, you, I'm sure you saw it in some sort of history class whenever you were growing up. I read it. In seventh grade, yeah, English class, and then we watched the movie. 
Yeah, so you probably have seen The Outsiders <clears throat> and read The Outsiders. Like I said, like he said, same author, same director, and two of the same actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's in the same year. So it's kind of like really interesting that they came out with this very similar, I guess, kind of feels to the movies. They're both black and white, right? Outsiders is black and white. Oh, God, I don't remember. It's been so long. I watched it in middle school and not since. But yeah, I could not tell you. I could probably pull up screenshots from it and let you know. So um, it, it's ahead. set in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's also where it was shot, right? I believe so, yeah. So oh. the really interesting thing, that the thing that I really pulled out of this is that everybody looks so hot and sweaty the entire film. And I, it must have been, I you know, Outsiders wasn't in black and white. No, well, it was looked like it The color. Outsiders was in color, yeah. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, everybody's sweaty, they look hot and miserable, and they never really say what year it's set in. It's kind of vague, I think on purpose. Um, Yeah, it feels really old, but it's not in a lot of ways. It feels, it draws most of its, like, aesthetic inspiration from, like, the 50s, it seems like. But yeah, they never specify. Um, It feels like a movie that could be set pretty much any time, which I think is to its benefit. Um... But yeah, the aesthetic to this movie is the thing that I appreciated the most. It's the thing that stuck with me the most when streets are all filled with fog mm-hmm. all the time. There's lots of scenes shot at night. I would say that's really smog. Smog, fog. Whatever. Other og words. But yeah, it's pretty striking visually. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing about this movie, and as we were watching it, he really... Um, saw me go through this i was the entire time i need to know who scored this i need to know and uh it's it's scored by Stuart copeland which is the drummer and uh uh i guess founder i don't know what you call the person who started a band but uh of the police so it's highly percussive and really reeling um it gives the film this like eerie and almost painful feeling it's so percussive it's really crazy your ears feel like they're being assaulted but like in a very good way yeah there's one scene in particular where the music stood out to me. It's the very first. It's really the only big, like, fight scene. Mm-hmm. I guess rumble scene is what I'll, I'll we'll call We're it. We're not there yet. Okay. Well, do you want to go ahead and get started with the plot summary? Let me um, kind of run down the cast really quick. So we have Matt Dillon. Yeah, Matt Dillon is the, the lead. And his girlfriend, uh, his name is Rusty James in this film, his girlfriend is Diane Lane. And uh, Rusty James's big brother, known only as the Motorcycle Boy, it's is fucking put... Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke, who is so hot in this movie. Do you no, know what? No, he's not. What? No, absolutely not. Uh, he's a cutie. Okay, maybe in your ideas of what a cutie is. I don't think so. You were saying that during the film, and I was like, I don't know if we're looking at the same person. No, he looks fucked up now. Yeah. Like, famously, I think he got, like, botched plastic surgery. I haven't seen much Mickey Rourke films. I've seen him... I mean, he's a boxer, too. Well, he was in The Boxer, which I've not seen. No, but he also is a boxer. I think after The Boxer came out, he actually started boxing in real life. But he still acts. I guess, does but he? I don't, yeah. I don't think that he looks... I don't think he looks good in this at all. But the whole... Part of the joke is that he looks older than he's supposed to. He's supposed to be this, like, older-looking dude who life is beaten down. But let's... He's so fresh-faced. What do you... What the f... 
We also have one of the uh, best friends um, of our good friend Rusty James is Lord James is Lord Lawrence Fishborn. Fishburn. Fishburn, whatever. Yeah. You he, said he's... that I said Fishborn. Guys, don't don't come for me. Whatever. Look but at him. He's not that cute in this film. I don't know what you're talking about. Just Google Mickey Rourke Rumblefish. I mean, his chin is real nice. He's got a good chin going on. But Chiseled. If, if we were going to do a hair report on him, um, he would get a solid 2 out of 10 from me. Well, I kind of like his hair. But can we talk about the hair report for Nicholas Cage? We're not. We need to. We're, we're all over the place so far. Um, so I just kind of want to go through more of the cast. So we got Nicolas Cage as one of the Rusty James' friends, Smokey. Okay. Do they ever say his name in the movie? I did not know his name was Smokey. Yeah, they do. Okay. Um, he's kind of a smaller part, but he is in a decent portion of it. We got Dennis Hopper is the father of Rusty James and the motorcycle boy. Those and those are pretty much the main players. What about Steve? Steve. Oh. Vincent Spano, I don't that's know. The, yeah, that's the guy who's like, like this is me. He's like their nerdy loser friend, so I related very hard to to uh, Steve. Steve. He's like a feckless dork. He like stands up to Rusty James later in the film, which we'll get to in just a minute. Yeah. Um, so it opens with a spray paint on a wall that says, Motorcycle Boy Lives. And I don't think that you really noticed this that much. I know that I said something about it, and you're like, what are you talking about? But the film opens with this, like, spray paint, motorcycle boy lives. No, I saw it. I noticed yeah. that. So um, the moment that you start to film, the first thing you think to yourself is, who the fuck is motorcycle boy? Yeah. And they keep on bringing it up. The idea is he's been, they reference him, like, vaguely, and, like, mm-hmm. as someone who has just been gone yeah. for a while. Do they... They don't clear up that it's Rusty James's brother yet. Okay, yeah. I feel like they do it pretty early on, though. Yeah, um, so they don't clear that up until like right before they're about to, he's about to fight this guy. So um, we see that like the first scene that's actually got people in it is Rusty James sitting there talking to um, Lawrence Fishburne, who is midget um, mm-hmm. in this film, and they're talking a very about, tall man. Yeah, I don't know why they and call his name him is midget. midget. Um, and <laughs> they're talking about how this guy Biff is wanting to beat up. Rusty James, and they keep on mentioning Motorcycle Boy, and they're like, oh, Motorcycle Boy, if he was here, you know, the gangs would be back together. If you've seen The Outsiders, it's a very similar vibe where, like, there are gangs of, like, teen boys that, like, all fight each other, and they wear leather jackets. It's a very, it's kind of the same thing to The Outsiders. So Rusty James gets upset every single time somebody brings up Motorcycle Boy. Mm -hmm. Um, We see our boy Nicolas Cage in this first scene. Um, His hair is a solid 9 out of 10. It's it's big and beautiful and so good. I wrote a note that said, chest hair, mm -hmm. 20 out of 10. Yeah. Um, If you go to our Twitter account, which is at Podcast, um, it is our header image. It's him from Rumblefish. His hair is at least like three or four inches tall. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's I've never seen Nick Cage like this before. Yeah. I was into it. And we'll get to this later on, but he totally steals Rusty James's girl towards the end. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I have, I have some quotes from what he said there. Okay, we'll um, get to that later. Yeah, so um, I did already talk about, I was talking about Steve already. That guy, love him. Um, so Rusty James is supposed to go fight this guy named Biff, and he is late because he was fucking his girlfriend. 
and we'll talk about that later, but that's Diane Lane. Um, so he's like hanging out with his girlfriend and he's late to the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so he shows up late. Steve shows up at the same time. Steve is like sitting in the corner writing notes. And there's this really cool uh, fight scene between Biff and Rusty James. Rusty like swings over on a chain and yeah, like, action style there's kicks like, him. It's very like acrobatic type really of cool. stuff here. It doesn't. It's kind of the craziest the movie gets. Um, this is the only really big fight scene in it. You expect it to be like that the whole film. Yeah, it's kind of. It's yeah. It's really just the one scene. Um, towards the end of the scene, right before uh, the motorcycle boy shows up. Biff, straight up, he gets thrown into like a glass window at one point, mm-hmm. and then picks up a big piece of the glass window and just slices Rusty James with it. But this is when Motorcycle Boy is revealed as Mickey Rourke comes in on his motorcycle yeah. at as you would expect the Motorcycle Boy to do at the perfect time, and like literally throws his motorcycle at Biff. He like, does. He just lets it go. He jumps off of it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And the motorcycle does a flip. You don't remember this? I don't remember this. He, like, uses his motorcycle as a weapon against Biff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, you're talking about how Rusty James gets, like, stabbed and slashed, but they don't ever take him to the hospital throughout the entire film. So he just has this bloody gash, yeah, like, bleeding like, through his shirt. bleeding all the time. The um, entire film. Is it clear, like, over how long a time period this movie is takes place? I would say probably a week. So, yeah, it's like, it's a... Yeah, it's not that long. It's like a week or, or so. I don't yeah, know. it's really not that long of a time. Um, I do say, I will say that um, Motorcycle Boy, according to some of the notes I read on this film, is based off of Albert Camus. Do you know who Albert Camus is? I know the name. I don't. Um, so he was the author of The Plague. You should look it up. It's a really important book, especially in coronavirus time. Yeah. Um, but topical podcast should definitely. Um, it's he's based off of Albert Camus. He's supposed to be this like introspective kind of aloof person. If you look up what Albert Camus looks like, kind of the way he acts and dresses is really similar to the way that Albert Camus looks. Um, the weird thing I thought about the scene at the end of the fighting scene mm-hmm. was the creepy ass fucking pervy looking cop. Uh, yeah, this guy shows up a. If- few times i don't know what there is to say about him really he just like it he asks um rusty james he's like why hasn't somebody shot you yet um let me open up the script real quick yeah well one thing i did want to mention about this fight this is when i really noticed the music you were talking about just a minute ago um yeah the music really adds to the scene during the the big rumble um it's super percussive as you were saying um, and just really puts you in that kind of headspace of being in a big, in a big fight, which I've never done. Have you ever been in a rumble? Uh, I've never been in an actual fight. Okay, but have you been in a rumble? No. You and your friends and your leather jackets snapping. Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, it's like dun 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 dun. That kind of music plays as you snap towards the rival gang. Yeah, no, all the time. I find myself in those situations. I have, like, a lollipop in my mouth. Yeah, I'm and then you pull it out casually. Yeah, I have a comb that I pull out of my back pocket. And it's like a switchblade comb, and it goes, ching, flips out, and you just, yeah. you know. Comb my hair. Yeah, that's right. all the time. God, that's so cool. I know. I'm the coolest person that you know. That's true. Okay, so, um, basically, you have this creepy-ass cop. 
Um, the another thing about this film, we're not really going to get too deep into this one because it's really just you. It's one of those films that you can't really describe because it's so it's very slow moving. Not, not much happens in the film. Um, I will keep on going through the plot. Um, yeah, it's more about building kind of an atmosphere mm-hmm. and putting you kind of in the mood of like this place and time. The film people. is a feeling. It's like guys. It's like a tone poem. You know what I mean? It's just supposed to like, you know. Yeah. Shit. So okay. uh, he keeps on repeating, <laughs> Rusty James keeps on repeating, I'm going to look like him someday when he was referring to Motorcycle Boy. And he, I think he really just wants to be Motorcycle Boy because Motorcycle Boy is supposed to be this like head of the fighting gangs. Yeah, but then he left. He left, and he ended the gangs. He ended the fights because they were bad. We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, but he keeps, I think he really wants to be like him, and people keep on reminding him that he's stupid. Uh, <laughs> it's true. The entire film, everybody's like, Rusty James isn't book smart. Yeah, he's kind of like... He's this kind of character that I like in movies, but I would not like in real life. Of like a dumb, tough guy who's like kind of has a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. But he's also an asshole. Like he, he's an asshole to his girlfriend and to other people in general. We'll talk about why he's an asshole to his girlfriend. But he's like, second. he's kind of just like a big, like he's like a, like a bruiser. He's just like, I'm Rusty James. So let's talk about where he came, he comes from, and why he's such an asshole. Yeah. So he's got a drunk lawyer dad, uh, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. He, he, his name in the credits is just Father. <laughs> Doesn't have um, a name. He he became a drunk whenever their mom left. Their mom apparently preferred Motorcycle Boy. Mm. And she left off to California to be with a famous director, apparently. Never say which famous director, obviously. Um, and he saw her when he when he went to California and just, you know, talked to her, but he didn't really give much more information. And California is really important in this film, and we'll find out near, at the end why. Um, but then the dad, in one of the scenes, has a small motor- monologue about Motorcycle Boy, just so you can kind of see like how people in the film thought about Motorcycle Boy. Um, and I'll, you know, get to that, but he's merely miscast in a play. He was born in the wrong era, on the wrong side of the river, with the ability to do anything he wants and find nothing that he wants to do. That's what the dad says? About Motorcycle Boy. In the scene where they're like in the bar? Oh, uh, they're all at the house. Okay, there's like two scenes with the dad, one where they're in like an apartment and one where they're like all at a bar, just kind of shooting the shit. I'm pretty sure it's whenever they're at the house. <clears throat> okay. Um, I'm not sure though. Mm-hmm. So another interesting fact about Motorcycle Boy, which by the way, the reason why we're talking so much about Rusty James and Motorcycle Boy is because Nicolas Cage doesn't really have a huge role in this film. We'll, we'll get to his film, his two roles in the film that are really important in just a second, but... Um, we're just going to kind of zoom through the other stuff so that we can get to the Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can talk about the rest of the movie in more detail, but, I mean, just know that there's not a whole lot of Nick Cage in this movie. So, uh, Motorcycle Boy is colorblind and is also hard at hearing. Um, and I think him being colorblind is part of the reason why it's in black and white, right? Because you're supposed to be thinking of him thinking from his perspective. But I also think that the music goes towards the hard of hearing aspect because when pe- people have tinnitus they hear a lot of ringing mm-hmm. and a lot of sounds sound percussive to them so mm-hmm. him being hard at hearing and also being colorblind 
Um, I think that's part of the reason why they chose the film noir, uh, you know, way that the film, the way that the look of the yeah. film, the feeling of the film, and the sounds that you hear in the film are also really sharp. And I think that has to do with him being hard of hearing. Yeah, so that's... There's a lot of this grass is greener on the other side stuff. We're born on the wrong side of the river. We need to get away from the river. Mm. We need to follow the river to go to the ocean. All this river talk. Yeah. Makes me want to... It's because they're in Tulsa. I mean, like, what the fuck else are you going to do in Tulsa? Get out of Tulsa. Are there rivers in Tulsa? Uh, I believe there's... Yeah, I mean, like, obviously if it's set in Tulsa and they talk about the river the whole time. We're just looking up Tulsa rivers right now. It's fine. Yeah, the Arkansas River goes straight through Tulsa. Oh, my gosh. According to this. So, um, yeah, so they talk about the river the whole time, and that's more important later in the film when we get to the rumblefish, the actual rumblefish. Yes, there are rumblefish in rumblefish. Um, if you That's what Motorcycle Boy calls them. They're not, I don't think that's an actual... They're called some sort of fighting fish, which, um, yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> There's a lot of talk from our, uh, from Rusty James mm-hmm. about what life would be like if the gangs were back, these fighting gangs. If, right. Um, but I do want to talk about something really cool in the scene where we have Diane Lane. She asks Rusty James to take her to go to a concert, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to go get money for it. And so he goes and asks his dad for money. His dad gives him money. He ends up pissing the money away in some way. I can't remember how he lost the money. But he had no money to take her to the concert, and so he just ends up going to a party with his friends and having an orgy. Is this the scene where we see Nicolas Cage's ass? Oh, yeah. We have this uh, orgy scene. Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage ass. Nicolas Cage getting it on. While that's happening, Rusty James is making out with this lady to the side, starts having sex with her. Yes. And then one of the ladies gets it back to Diane Lane. And she's pissed. Oh, yeah. She's like, bye, Rusty James. Um, you fucked somebody else. And she's like storming off, and he's following. He's like, baby. He's like, baby. Baby. Baby, I love you. I, I love you. Don't leave me. I, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything. Yeah, of course. So I didn't do anything. And then she calls him out, and he goes like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I did do that. But what uh, what, what about it? What's so bad about that? So, like, really just this typecasted asshole. Like, you know, not very smart dude. Um, yeah. So, Rusty James... And his girlfriend break up. Mm-hmm. Rusty is then subsequently, later on, for something that I can't remember, gets kicked out of school. Um, and he said, I'm only here for my friends anyway. So he breaks up with his girlfriend, loses all of his friends, uh-huh. is alienated from everybody, and the only people he's in contact with are Steve and Motorcycle Boy. Yes. So he is alone. And this is, this night, he's like, come on, let's go. Where they go to the carnival so before they go to the carnival they're at the pet store for the first time and they see the fish before all like this is before they go out to the carnival Mm -hmm. right the first time they see the fish he calls them rumble fish he says they'll kill each other if they could these are siamese siamese fighting fish watch this if you lean a mirror up against the glass they'll try to kill themselves i wonder why they'd i wonder if they'd act that way in the river yeah, and a thing to note is the fish in these scenes are the only parts of the film that are in color. Yeah. One is red, one is blue. And Rusty James points out, he's like, oh, the colors are so nice. And that's whenever a motorcycle boy is like, oh, it'd be nice if I could see those colors. And the thing is, when, when they say motorcycle boy is colorblind, they don't mean like blue-green colorblind. They mean like he sees in black and white. Is that a thing? 
Is that a thing? I don't think so. Yeah, it's not... I don't know. I don't know anything. This movie's so unrealistic. So, um, we also have this scene later on in the film of Nick Cage. Rusty James goes into the billiard hall where they started the movie. Uh Uh-huh. And he goes to go talk to Diane Lane, or really just, I guess, go get a soda or something. He goes into the billiard hall, and he sees Nicolas Cage sitting across the table from Diane Lane. So he Is he across the table? I know at some point he like moves beside her and puts his arm around her. Yeah. But, you know, the scene is really fuzzy. The only thing that I remember is that he asks, he makes a scene and asks Nick Cage to come, sta- come outside with him. And they talk. And Nick Cage is like basically about to start fighting Rusty. And he's like, dude, you don't want to get into a fight. And then he says this line that I was like, oh shit, when he said this. He told Rusty James, who always thought that he would be the president of a of the gang if the gang were to be you know be reinstated and that's the thing that he's fantasizing the entire film mm-hmm. and then nick cage goes if there were still gangs i'd be president and not you you'd be my second lieutenant you might have had it you might have made it a while on the motorcycle boys rep but you ain't got your brother's brains you gotta be smart to run things it's nothing personal but nobody would follow you into a gang fight because you get people killed nobody wants to get killed and this is pretty much the last scene with him, right? He this doesn't. Is, no, we see him at the very end. But does he like have any more like dialogue? No, this is basically all that he says. Yeah, so that's him. basically the extent to Nick of Nick Cage's role. He's um kind he's of a girlfriend stealer. He's kind of positioned as like one of the boys at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and he kind of hangs out with them periodically, and then at the end, he could just kind of turns against Rusty James. But he's still friends um, with all the friends. He's still one of the boys. Yeah. He's just not Rusty James's boy. Yeah. Well, Rusty James kind of, like I said, got ousted from the whole group, and his only friends were Steve and Motorcycle Boy. And he wasn't ousted from the group until Motorcycle Boy came back. So Steve, Motorcycle Boy, and Rusty have a night out. They go to a carnival. They go to a bar. They kind of travel around, do that drunk movie thing. This is, yeah, this is the scene where I really, I was really feeling Steve. I yeah. really felt myself in the Steve part. He's like, come on, guys. Uh. He's Let's like, go home. <laughs> but really, uh, you know, they do t- they do kind of peer pressure him and get him to get really drunk. And by the end of this scene, he they're both toasted. Yeah. So yeah. it's also like me. I'm easily pushed around. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they go out and get drunk. And we see Rusty James and also Steve get increasingly more drunk. They're kind of walking around. There's a cool scene of Motorcycle Boy playing pool. Everybody talking about how cool he was. He leaves Steve and Rusty alone. You know what I just remembered that I didn't take any notes on? What? Um, Rusty, no, sorry. Motorcycle Boy's girlfriend throughout the film. The, mm-hmm. the teacher that then became addicted to heroin to get through the pain of breaking up with Motorcycle Boy. Did you miss that entire character? Uh, uh, she's like, what? at the beginning, she's like, I needed to... I needed to get through the pain of being without him at the beginning of the film. And then you see her later at this carnival, and he's dancing with her. And she is, like, smoking hot. She's smoking hot, and she's yeah. dancing with him. And Steve is like, oh, she's a fox. And Rusty James is like, I don't know what he sees in her. She's not that pretty. And they talk a she's lot. She's a fox, Rusty James. That's kind of how he sounds to me. <laughs> so they talk so much negative stuff about junkies throughout this entire film. Like, if you drink too much, if you do too many drugs, then you're a bad person. Which I think probably stems from their dad being an alcoholic and their mom being um, absent. Sure. So, anyway, 
Um, they leave the bar after they get absolutely just left behind by motorcycle boy. He like you hear a motorcycle sound and Rusty James goes, "Oh, where did he go?" And he disappears, goes away. And then Rusty gets critically hurt by this person who like jumps them on their way home from the bar. And yeah, they get this, jumped by like two two guys. It's a really cool scene of Rusty James floating up in the air as he's. Oh yeah, he gets like hit on the head, and like. He has, like, an out-of-body experience thing where he's, like, floating past, like, Diane Lane's house. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we should also mention the kind of, like, hallucinations he has of her kind of periodically. There's one in, like, a classroom where he's just, like, sitting at his desk and he looks oh, up yeah. on one of the bookshelves and she's there in, like, her underwear just, like, laying on top of the shelf. Um, so there's some, like, surreal elements as well, kind of like that, uh, kind of dreamy Mm-hmm. The whole thing has a very dream like it feels like a dream vibe. Dream, 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so right after this, um, motorcycle boy like literally comes and whoops ass out yeah. of nowhere, like just like the first scene, mm-hmm. like comes and save, like comes and saves him, um, as always. So he says to Rusty James, "I wish I were the big brother you always wanted, but I can't be what I, I can't be what I want any more than you can." Listen. I'm going to put the fish in the river. After I do, I want you to do something for me. What? This is important, so pay attention. Okay, I'm paying attention. I want you to take the cycle and leave. I want you to go clear to the ocean. I want you to follow the river to the ocean. So this happens when they're back in the pet shop. Yeah, so they break into the pet shop to get the fish to put them back in the river. Yeah. Um, and these times, Rusty James like, what are we doing? Where are we going? Yeah. Um, do they also, like, take a dog, too? They just, like, release all the animals. They release every animal. Damn. Liberators over Absolutely. here. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so after this point, we're pretty much wrapping up at this point. There's not a whole lot of plot to this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, a lot of it's kind of just atmospheric and just kind of... You're supposed to just kind of vibe with it, you know what I mean? The police show up, I guess, in response to the break-in at the pet store? I wasn't quite yeah, clear on it. the alarm the... went off. Okay. So... Basically, Motorcycle Boy runs and gets killed by the police. Yeah. I was very confused by this when I was watching it. I was like, why were they, why did they want to kill him? Why did they kill him? Because he was the gang leader. and the But cop he wasn't had, the gang leader anymore. But the cop had been after him the entire film, and he was just waiting for him to have a crime. Okay. To commit a crime. So he just drops the fish. waiting for him to have a crime, you know. Have a crime. So he drops yeah. the fish on the sidewalk, and Rusty James comes and picks him up and puts them in the river. Yeah. And then we see this really solemn scene of Where, like, him. all the townsfolk gather around. And they're like, it's the motorcycle boy. Oh, my God. They shot what the motorcycle the boy. motorcycle boy. And it's everybody who has been in the entire film. And while this is happening, Rusty James gets on a motorcycle, just like Motorcycle Boy asked him to do, and followed the, the, motor, followed the road on the motorcycle mm-hmm. all the way. To the ocean. Ends up in California. Final shot. Sim just kind of looking off across the ocean. Gorgeous. On his motorcycle. And now he is the motorcycle boy. Okay. So and that's, that's, the en- that's the end of Rumblefish. <laughs> it's a interesting film. It was not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, especially early on with the, the first rumble scene happens like 10 minutes in maybe. So you think it's going to be more... Um, conventional as far as the plot goes but like we were talking about after that point it's kind of just moody and atmospheric and just kind of take in all this imagery and kind of poetic dialogue 
Yeah, um, if you're expecting there to be a plot to this movie, there isn't. There's yeah, so there's not. We got we went through this movie kind of quickly, which is that's why because there's not a ton to say plot wise. If you want to know what the movie is like, you absolutely have to watch it. Maybe read the book. Maybe you'll get the feel from the book. You might be able to find just kind of like a few scenes on YouTube or whatever. It's Listen worth, to the soundtrack though. It's worth checking out. Stuart um, Copeland. As far as Nick Cage goes, like we were saying, he's not in it a lot. Um, he looks awesome in it. He looks, I mean, cutie alert. You want to talk about that, you know, but. He does look really nice. Yes. He looks, he, he's like quintessential hottest cage so far. On His Ashley's, hair goes for miles. Ashley's cage meter, by the way, I, we haven't decided this, but I'm deciding right now. Oh, okay. That throughout all of the movies that we talk about, I'm going to tell you, um, you know where he ranks on hottest of the of the cages and um so far what's the rumblefish is the hottest of the cages so you're just saying you're there's no like scale there's so no, we like, have point scale right now we're in this order rumblefish is the hottest yes number two for hottest cage is rumblefish number three for hottest cage Wait, what was number one number one is rumblefish you just said number two is rumblefish <laughs> Number three is Rumblefish. No. <laughs> number two is Rumblefish. Number one is Rumblefish. Number two yes. is Face Off. Yes. Number three yes. is Wind Talkers. And number four is going to be Mom and Dad. Because he does not look good in Mom and Dad. Which, this is a perfect segue to Mom and Dad. All right, so we're moving on to Mom and Dad. You look very annoyed with me right at this moment. No, I'm actually... <laughs> This uh, this was a very interesting film. I was looking forward to seeing this again. I've seen this movie before. Um, so we're going to discuss Mom and Dad now, which is a 2018 film starring Nick Cage uh, and Selma Blair are the kind of the most well-known people in it. If you know who Selma... Um, okay, if you don't know who Selma Blair is... Um, people, if you... people know Selma Blair. Okay, well, if you don't... If you don't know who Selma Blair is, if you watch Legally Blonde, one of my favorite films, okay, you will learn in the course of this podcast that I have terrible taste in in films, Um, but Legally Blonde, she plays Vivian, which is the love interest of of Reese Witherspoon's boyfriend, who she dumps, and her becomes her best friend at the end. Vivian. Okay, you know who that is. She's also in... um... The Hellboy movies. Oh, she is, yeah. Um, she's in that movie Cruel Intentions. She's in a bunch of stuff. Uh, so she is Nick Cage's wife in this movie. Just the premise from IMDb here. Um, a teenage girl and her younger brother must survive a wild 24 hours during which a mass hysteria of unknown origin causes parents to turn violently on their own kids. This film was directed... Directed, I said. Directed. By, by Brian Taylor. Um, he is one of the duo um, who directed the Crank movies and a movie we'll be discussing on this podcast soon, maybe. I'm not sure when we're going to get to it, but Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Well, that's um, the second one? Yeah, it's the second Ghost Rider. The, he, it was either him and or like the team he's, he was part of um, before he made this movie directed that movie so we Um, will be talking about that film in our next category which is balls attitude and direction 
quick reminder, we are still in the suck my tongue category with um, Mom and Dad and Rumblefish right now, and our next pairing will be Inconceivable and Deadfall. So Mom and Dad, it's kind of, it's described on Wikipedia as like a horror comedy film. It's definitely more horror than comedy. A lot I don't of, get what the the comedy. I think you kept on saying it gets funnier, it gets funnier, and I was like, this is not funny. I find it pretty funny. It's mostly, it's mostly due to Nick Cage. Um, this is a really good Nick Cage movie, um, just performance wise. Why'd you roll your eyes? Well, it is. You're right. Yeah. One hundred percent. He goes crazy. But he's crazy from the get-go. Like, do you remember that scene in the beginning where you know what the film is about when you go into the film, right, obviously? Um, yeah, so there's a kind of opening shot before they introduce the main family where this lady leaves her car on a, the train tracks as a train is approaching, leaves her baby in the car and just walks off. That's the thing that kind of prompts this is explained it's not really explained but you kind of start getting what's happening later on there's this like static that'll appear on like a tv screen that kind of sets off the adult characters and makes them want to murder their children um so the woman in the very beginning hears this on the radio and then leaves her car on the train tracks with her baby inside and then right after that it basically cuts to the the ryan's um, which is our main family we have uh, Brent, which is Nicolas Cage. Kendall, which is Selma Blair. Um, Carly um, is the teenage girl played by Ann Winters. And Josh, who is a kind of like six or seven year old boy. We also um, have to talk about her boyfriend. Yes. Damon is her boyfriend's name, who is another major character. So it kind of begins with them... They're on the phone. um, They're, well, that's like, they're making breakfast. They're like going through their morning routine. They have, um, they have a a nanny who also murders her child who's also at the house. Mm -hmm. And I think the moment that you're kind of referencing is when they're kind of just messing around in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the son, Josh, throws a ball or he throws a, I think it's a ball at Nick Cage's head. And he's like kind of laughing, and he just like spins around and just glares at him while this like ring sound plays. Yeah, and you think that he's gonna kill his son at that moment. He's You're just like, like, wow, are they gonna start this film with him killing his son? But he, he's just like staring at him really intensely for like a good few seconds, and then he like snaps out of it. He's like, mm-hmm. all right, off to work. He really did the Nick Cage thing, like. But I think that I think that the thing is, is I think he legitimately hates his family. Well, yeah, well, he's just, uh, I think he's the most interesting character in the movie. He's, like, super dissatisfied with his life. Mm -hmm. There's a whole scene later on, it's a flashback, where he's installing a pool table in the basement. And it's just, like, I think it's, like, a really great scene. Like, just from an acting standpoint. Like, not even, he, he gives a good performance in this movie. It's, he's really believable as, like, this guy who like was living it up mm-hmm. in high school he's one of those people who's like high school those are like the best years of your life yeah um, the which scene is, is him and him and his firebird i think yeah they keep cutting back to this like kind of flashback of him as like younger and he, he's, he's got, doing donuts while he's doing making donuts. out with this hot girl who's shirtless 
Um, yeah. They'll like cut to it for like a few seconds at a time and then cut right back. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the a lot of the more comedy stuff in the movie. He's like sitting um, in his office, like not ignoring his wife, basically in tears. Like. Yeah, he's like just incredibly dissatisfied with every single aspect of his life. But so is Selma Blair. She's going through the. She's much emotions. more like. Yeah, she's more like kind of detached. Yeah. I feel like. She's like doing um, the yoga mom thing. Yeah, she's like trying to relate to Carly. Like the, the Facebooks. She's like, get off the Facebooks. And she's, and she's like, like, Mom, like, oh, Mom God. Um, so I feel like the movie sets up the net, the dynamic between the family really well. Yeah, so, and I do like how they set up the, her, the uh, Carly's relationship with her boyfriend at the very beginning. Where mm-hmm. you can see that like, they're like a young couple who really care about each other. And she's like, oh, don't let me tempt you before your PSATs. You got to focus on your PSATs, right? And so yep. like, you have this loving relationship between... Her and her boyfriend, which does become important later in the film. Yeah, so after that kind of beginning breakfast scene, everyone's their separate ways. Nick Cage, Brent goes off to work. Uh, where does Selma Blair go? Does she go to yoga? She goes to yoga. She Well, she's driving Carly. She's driving the kids to school. Yeah, and her and Carly have a fight because she wouldn't let her go hang out with her boyfriend because the grandparents were coming to town. Yes, this which will is come up later. This will come up later. They mention kind of offhand, so you kind of forget about it that the grandparents are going to be coming over for dinner that night. Mm -hmm. So she goes off after that to yoga with her friend. I don't remember her name. It's not that important. Um, But she goes off to yoga with her friend. The kids are in school. No, the son is not in school. He's staying home. Yeah, he stays at home with the nanny. With the the nanny nanny and the nanny's daughter. Uh, There was something that did happen. Also, um, Selma Blair's sister in the movie was pregnant. They establish early on that... Selma Blair's sister is going to be giving birth, like, imminently. Yeah. Um, And there's a scene later on that we're going to talk about, about that. So, yeah, while Carly is at school, more and more TV screens and radios start displaying, transmitting that static. Mm -hmm. And at this moment, it cuts back to the house, and it happens at the house, and Josh and the nanny's daughter are just kind of hanging out. And then the the nanny is like tenderizing some meat, mm-hmm. and then the static goes off. She decides it's time to tenderize her daughter, and she just keeps on going. Like the thing is about these parents killing their kids is that it's they, only their own kids. Yeah, it's only their own. They kids. act totally normal, or it's like she I, kills her daughter and is just like, "You want lunch?" Like, yeah. Hey. And she's trying to clean it. She's like, I can't get this blood out of the floor. It's almost like she forgot that she killed her own daughter. Or, like, there's a lot of people who, um, they do interviews throughout the movie, like, fake, obviously, fake interviews of the movie. And they're like, one of the person people was like, yeah, I have a problem with it. I don't think it should be happening. But did I feel bad about it? No. no. Yeah. It's... Like, it felt so right. Yeah. it's That's, like, the, the most creepy thing about the movie. It's, like, a really... I think it's a really great premise for, like, a horror movie. Yeah. Um... But that, I think that that is where some of the comedy comes from, is just that they're so casual to everybody else, where they'll murder their child in cold blood and then, like, offer the other kid, like, a drink. You know what I would have liked to seen, see in this? Yeah. I would have liked to see there be, like, a third kid mm-hmm. that one of the parents didn't want to kill. And then oh. that's how you find out the third kid was not. Oh, that could be an interesting Or maybe like a third kid that neither one of the parents wants to kill, and you find out that that kid is just adopted. Shit. Because it's a biological need to kill your children. Right? 
Interesting. That, I, that's for the sequel. Mom and dad and... <laughs> I uh, would have loved to see that. Like some drama going on in this horror film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at the same time that Carly's at school, her boyfriend Damon is taking this exam. Mm-hmm, the PSAT. Um, and as it's going on, more and more parents start like standing outside the window, like waiting to be like waiting to pick up their kids mm-hmm. and it's like really creepy they're all just like standing there and it's it's like super eerie and he finishes first too yeah he's like the first one done with the with the test and he opens the door and, and none like, of them touch him yeah his uh his mom isn't in the picture really mm-hmm. but he lives with his dad um his dad's like an alcoholic so he doesn't come to the school he's just like he just like walks out into the crowd of other parents and they obviously don't want any, they don't want him because he's not their child. So he just kind of walks past them and is like, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and goes goes home. But his dad was like passed out when he got home. Yeah, so he gets home, his dad is like passed out drunk. Mm-hmm. Um he he's like, Oh, come on, man. He's like, Come on, dad, this again. And he starts like cleaning up after him, and then his dad is suddenly like standing in the doorway holding a bottle he breaks the bottle and it's kind of sad and interesting he's he's like not again not again so it's like this is not yeah which i think actually they put him in an advantage because if his dad had tried to kill him before tried to hurt him that much like in that situation if you have really abusive parents then like this is not something weird or new for you you know how to react and you know how to keep your parents from killing you yeah i I like damon as a character yeah um he's one of the he's one of the more like kind of proactive characters in this situation Mm -hmm. um but he gets into a fight with his dad when he's tries when he tries to kill him ends up killing his dad like slices his throat open basically or he he like falls onto like a broken bottle. Yeah, but what really? He's not you like don't trying feel to bad kill him. about his dad dying. You're like, no, his dad is an asshole. This is he's better off with his dad. Dying. It's really gross too, like the yeah. just like the gore effects. I didn't like the gore in this film. I liked it. Let's go ahead. You know what we didn't do for Rumblefish? You forgot to ask me if I cried at the end. of Rumblefish. Oh, did you? Going back to Rumblefish for a second. Did you cry at the end of Rumblefish? I don't think you did. Did you? I I had no reason to cry at the end of Rumblefish. So no, he didn't. Okay. Yeah. Great. Good. good. <laughs> Perfect. Good Did you cry at the end of Mom and Dad? Um. Might as well just do it but, now. I don't think I did. No. No, yeah. I was really, I was really freaked out throughout this entire film. I know that there's a couple times I had to make you pause it, which that seems to be a theme when we watch movies together. If there's something that's overwhelming, overwhelmingly cringy, overwhelmingly gory, anything that's just too much suspense for me, I mm-hmm. get emotional and i make him turn it off for just a second i'm like babe pause it yeah that's true meanwhile i'm just like i'm into all this shit um (laughs) anyway um so after the scene where damon kills his father um carly and her friend like school just kind of gets out in the after or no no, like they, they let them out early, but they, they're trying to keep them at the school because they they know that the parents are coming to get the kids, and they're yeah, keeping them so, behind this fence. So there's a scene where, like, the kids are let out of school early, and they're trying to, like, get them on to, like, just trying to get them out safely. And the parents are, like, storming the fences at the school. It's almost like a zombie movie. And, like, the police are trying to, like, push them back. And one kid, one mom is like, come on, come on, like, Timmy or whatever. And he's like, uh, he like runs to his mom. Because he then, loves his mommy. Because he loves his mommy. And then 
he sh- oh he, he the blasphemous last mistake. Um, he climbs over the fence. She like grabs him and just like stabs him with like a key. Yeah. Um, you don't see that happen. You just see like the key like yeah. coming towards the camera. And then after that, it's kind of like all out pandemonium. It's shot really chaotically. Carly and her friend just kind of are able to escape. And they go over to um, her friend's house. Her friend Riley is her name, I believe. Yeah. Um, so they go to this house, right? And Riley's like, do you want to smoke a joint? And she's like, wait, no, there's some, this is really serious, Riley. And, oh, we should mention Riley's mom is Selma Blair's friend. Yeah. Like the her, like, yoga friend. So they're sitting there together... Um, and she's like, oh, I need to go check on my mom. They do this kind of fun fake out where, like, there's, like, frozen margaritas in a blender. Mm-hmm. She's like, ooh, margaritas. And, like, she puts her hand in the blender and, it's, like, focuses really closely on the blender. And, like, she just pulls some margarita out. Gets, there's, like, nothing happens with the blender. But it's just kind of a fun fake out. But then she goes upstairs and her mom is there, some of Blair's friend. And like strangles her to strangles her daughter to death. And Carly sees this. Carly like walks in on it, um, or like right immediately after he she like hears like the struggle, and then the mom is just like, "Oh hey Carly, what's up?" And then yeah. she's like, "Uh," and like, and then I think at that moment Damon shows up and gets her out. Is that right? Because then they're together at that point before they go back to her house. And there's also a part where he gets her, and they're outside. And there's this, like, dude, this, like, overweight guy, like, covered in, like, a bloody, like, tank top. And he's like, no, he doesn't want us. Yeah, he's, like, he's like staring at them. Then he just, like, gets his mail and he's, like, looking at them. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of, like, I don't know, it just might be my sense of humor. I kind of like dark humor like that. And that's the kind of stuff that I find funny in this yeah, movie. Yeah, he just nonchalantly had a baseball bat covered. Yeah, he has a covered, yeah, he's a baseball and he's just, like, getting his mail. So, yeah, they go back to go get their her little brother Josh from the house. And they're like, pack up your bags, let's go. And he's like, I just saw her kill him. What's going on? And she's like, we need to go before the parents come home. She's like, they're not going to be home soon. And all, while all this is happening, by the way, Selma Blair is in her car, mm-hmm. right? And she had just got back from the hospital. We didn't talk about that. Well, I think, yeah. So, so yeah, let's talk about that. So, we mentioned before her sister... Um, is going into labor at the hospital. So she takes a stop there to see how she's doing, see the baby. And then at the moment after the baby's born and her sister is holding it, like static comes on one of the screens, the the static that kind of turns on the parents. Um, and then she just starts like squeezing the baby and they have to like yank it. It's, it's a really like distressing, intense scene. Um, I think this was one of those moments you were just like, uh, mm-hmm. you were not into this scene that much. I, oh, it definitely made me It's, it's effective. She's it's, trying to kill her it's, baby. It's, it's, it's not meant to be like a funny scene. It's, and then it's really effective. Um, takes the baby and then they, t- they take the baby from her because she's like, this is my family. And they were like, we don't know what's going on. We need to take that baby from you. And she's like, she doesn't want to give it up. And then... Because she doesn't want to kill her niece. Yeah, there's also... I think this this shot is kind of funny where, like, there's, like, the room that has all the babies in it mm-hmm. and, like, the little cribs and has, like, all the dads are just, like, oh, standing yeah, just outside, staring just, like, at staring babies. at their babies. Like, they want to kill the babies. Yeah. Um, but then she's she heads home after this to basically, she's like, okay, I need to, like, go get my, I need to go see my kids, like, what's going on. Yeah, but then there's the she, lady that's she, like, don't go home as much as, like, don't go home as much as you want to go to them. You want to protect them. Don't go to them. You it's like, you will them. want to go to them. Don't do it. And she's kind of just ignores. She kind of just ignores it and just goes home anyway. 
but I think it's actually Brent, Nick Cage, who arrives home first. Is that correct? Yes, I think it because it he gets home, um, he sees. So this is kind of an indication that he is just an angry guy in general. He has no reason in the context of the situation of the movie to want to kill Damon. But he tries to ki- he tries to kill him when he gets he home tries because to he kill just Damon first because he just doesn't no, like. No, but he him. does want to kill Damon because that's her that's her his daughter's boyfriend. As well, much that's even what I he mean. He wants to kill his daughter, even though he wants to kill his daughter, he still doesn't want there to be a boy fucking his daughter. That's what I mean. I mean, in the sense of like the supernatural phenomenon that's happening should not make him want to kill this person. He just does anyway because he's pissed off. Yeah, um, that's what I mean. Yeah, Damon like, tries to protect um, them against Nick Cage. And he gets, like, his He ass. goes, like, roid crazy here. Yeah, he's, like, he's like na- Nick Cage is, like, gnashing his teeth and, like, going nuts. Um, and he, like, eventually... Don't they, like, knock each other out? Because, like, they're both out of commission yeah, for, a, for a little bit. Yeah, and then um, Selma Blair comes Selma home. Selma Blair comes home um, and wakes up Brent and is, like... And we're supposed to think that the boyfriend's dead this entire time. Yeah. It's, he, like, hits his head. He's, like, bleeding from the head. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, like, he, like, Nick Cage slams his head into the floor. Yeah. I'm remembering now. Um, so you're meant to think, oh, he's, like, dead now, basically. And this um, is where it gets real cute. This is this is my favorite part of the movie. So Selma Blair comes home, wakes up Nick Cage, is like, yo, let's fucking kill these kids. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, they had, they've been having you know, problems with their relationship. Yeah, they're like... And together they, they're they like, oh my God, common ground. Let's fucking kill these kids. Yeah, so they chase them for a minute and then they the kids end up in the basement, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like a two-story house with a basement. So their first attempt to get the kids out of the basement, um, they have this like kind of rinky-dink-looking like power saw. Um, it's got like a really long, thin blade. It's a Sawzall. Uh, the brand is Sawzall. That's because it saws all. And we're not making this up. Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair say this multiple times throughout it's, the film. It's it's really good. Um, it's called a sawzall. Sawzall. It saws all. Yeah, it doesn't saw the door really. Um, they have a hard time getting through the door with the sawzall. And then at this moment, a gunshot goes through the door from the basement and shoots Nick Cage. And she's jo- like, where the fuck did you did he get a gun from? Yeah, Josh has a gun, and then they, they cut to, like, a flashback of him pulling the gun out from its case. He's in his, like, tidy whities and he's, like, posing in front of the mirror. It's kind of a fun scene. Kids playing with guns. It's always fun. What do you think of that? I think you said in the last podcast that you wanted more more children. No, you said more more no. guns in churches, and now you're, like, more kids with guns. Yeah, the, the people holding those guns in churches children okay so now moving, we moving have a consensus on. logan likes children in churches with guns in movies in movies not in real life yeah so and they're kind of bonding over this experience of trying to kill their kids it's kind of the most like the most they've seems like the most they've gone along in years basically so they come up um, with this ploy to gas the children yeah out. they're gonna gas the children to death they're gonna gas them out the they run a hose they disconnect they have like a gas stove so, like, they disconnect the gas line and then, like, feed it out from outside into, like, the little basement window, little tiny basement window. I don't just... understand why the kids didn't just escape through the basement window. Um, they well, they, look... she, she, like, packs it in with, like, dirt. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, they, at the first, in the, from the get-go. Well, I don't know. They're 
freaking out. Their parents are trying to murder them. You're not going to be thinking super clearly in that situation. I don't know. They were, they were really hatching up a plan down there. I feel like most that they the kids act pretty believably in this movie in a way that, like, you think a kid probably, like a teen or a kid probably would. Yeah, but they really, like, figure out how to get out of that basement. Yeah. they, they Later on, they do end up getting out of the basement. Um, and I think while they're just kind of waiting waiting it out Mm -hmm. for the kids to like pass out basically um so they can go in there and kill them they they wanted the gas they wanted the the gas to blow up i thought or suffocate them well they want to like do that so they just like pass out yeah um i don't think it would like kill them immediately but at this point they kind of there's a really great scene where that flashes back to brent putting together a pool table in the basement and us. He's like putting so much love into it. He's like leveling it, making sure it's perfect. And then Selma Blair comes home, walks down, is like, yeah, like what the fuck is this? How much did this cost? And he's like, goes on this monologue about how he used to be used to be something back in high school. Um, now he's just like wants one thing for himself. <laughs> he wanted the family room, yeah, he's the like man a, cave. Yeah. He kind of uses it as things. He's like, it's for the family, but you know, it's really just kind of for himself. Um, but he then he starts smashing the pool table with a sledgehammer. And you see Selma um, Blair with real fear in her eyes. Yeah. And he's singing um, uh, the Hokey Pokey while he does this, which is just a nice touch. Wait, really? Yeah. yeah. He's like, you put your right foot in, put your right foot out, put your left foot in, and you fucking shake it all about. Do you remember this? No, but I that sounds fantastic. It's it's a, it's like a genuinely really effective scene and it's like he's acting very scary in it but you also kind of empathize with what he's the idea that he's like conveying. Mm-hmm. Just that dissatisfaction that comes when like you your life didn't turn out the way you had all thought it would be when you were like in your teens or your 20s. And yeah, I just found it to be incredibly effective. So they, it kind of, it's it's placed and it's oddly placed in the film. It kind of breaks up the flow a little bit of that sequence where they're trying to get the kids out. But it cuts back to present time. Um, but we also see in this time, in this part of the film, we start seeing the flashbacks of the bird in the box in the back of the car. Yeah, so there's a scene where Josh... It, it's it's actually a cat. It's like a, it's like a dying kitten. He I thought f- it was a bird. No, he f- he finds it outside. You hear like the meowing of it. You don't see it ever, but he puts it in like a box um, to like I guess nurse it back to health in his like child brain. Um, but then he like comes back later and it's dead. So he like doesn't know what to do with it. So he puts it into his dad's. What, what kind of car is it? I think it's a Firebird. It's like a it's like a really nice like muscle car and like. There's a scene where Nick Cage, this is all in flashbacks, where he gets into the car and he's like, what the fuck is that smell? And then, like, he, like, is very angry at his son. Um, And then at that point, it cuts back to the present, but it goes back to this flashback closer towards the end. And you see kind of the rest of it, where he's kind of, like, sweet with his son, where he, like, forgives him for for doing that to his car. Um, But while all this is happening, the kids are kind of hatching a plan for how they're going to kind of subdue their parents um they utilize they utilize the gas that is being pumped in they have a book of matches they kind of construct a contraption for when they open the door 
it'll like strike all the matches and just like explode which they kind of execute pretty effectively while they escape through like um like a laundry chute or like a air vent yeah some weird they're they're able to they're able to crawl out of the basement and they end up upstairs on the second floor Mm -hmm. um i don't know how houses work so i don't know how realistic that is but um they think they're about to finally get the kids and they throw open the door um i think they actually they do finally cut it down with the saw they cut open they unlock it from the in from the inside yeah they open the door and it just like explodes in their face um and you see the scene of nick cage just getting thrown back into the room into the room behind them yeah which is pretty great it yeah um and he's like he it's almost like cartoonish he has like the black like soot all over his face it <laughs> yeah. looks kind of like a looney tunes think um like roadrunner uh, yeah yeah think that that's kind of like what nick cage looks like in this scene i was thinking the villains in uh home alone the wet bandits yeah hell yeah okay yeah. go on so they are able to escape upstairs well they're still in the house they're upstairs now instead of the basement Selma Blair was less injured by the explosion. That was mostly Nick Cage that got the brunt of it. So she kind of chases them for a bit. You see at this point that Damon is not dead. Mm-hmm. He comes and helps them out. He gets uh, like a wire hanger through his cheek, which is really gross and cool. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And you see a cute um, scene of her, of him and Carly laughing about everything while they're trapping oh, that's them like, in the Yeah, they, they, they trap Selma Blair in the closet. And they kind of have a like, a moment like... <laughs> sure is crazy huh and then like it's interrupted by her like busting out basically yeah and then damon eventually gets knocked off the the second floor balcony basically he hits Mm -hmm. a banister on his way down you think he's dead again um he really resilient dude he's might be the strongest person in any movie i've ever seen (laughs) he's very resilient um you think you're led to believe though that he is dead for sure this time Uh he's actually not but let me see so the and it seems like the parents finally have the kids and are going to kill them Mm -hmm. and then the doorbell rings and then you remember it's the 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 grandparents yeah the the, someone blurs like one of them, either Nick Cage or Selma Blair, is like, wait, oh, oh, that's shit. today, right? And they're like, oh, shit. And then... Well, you're... he opens the door, he's, he, I think he forgets for a second that parents are trying to kill their kids. Well, they, they, I think they just don't think about it. And, like, also, you're not thinking about it when you're watching the movie. I think it kind of No, don't. I definitely thought about so, it. So, like, it's it, it's kind of meant to be, like, a eureka moment where you're like, oh, yeah. And then immediately when they open the door, the the dad, who, who plays the... Who plays, um... Nick Cage's dad. It's Lance Henriksen. So, like, um, this... He, okay, so, back to the Firebird. Lance Henriksen, the father of Nick Cage in this film... Yes. Right? Gives... Had, gave that car to him. This is very important in a scene we, we will talk about in just a second. Mm-hmm. Give that Gave that car to him, and then he fucked it up by doing donuts and having sex with a girl, right? With the titties and stuff that we see in early, earlier in the The film. girl with the titties, that's right. Um, he gets upset... He has to pay off the thing. There's a whole dialogue about that. And then the son also messes up the car. And then we see a scene of all three of them, of three generations. Yeah, well, we're getting a little bit of hers. So I want to talk about the flashback with, um, it's kind of the aftermath of, like, the dead kitten in the car thing where he's, like, sitting with his son. And he, like, basically says, like, it's like we're cool. Um, he, he's kind of talking about his son, how, like, 
high school where it was the best years of his life and it's going to be great for you too and he's like oh the girls the the cars and he does this really like he's a really funny thing where he's like drinking a beer and he goes like well, like with the can i just that sounded really gross on the mic but i i just did it to show ashley do you remember that that thing he did with the no okay it's it's really quick. It's just a really strange choice by Nicolas Cage that I really appreciated. He like basically tongues the the whole of his beer can. Yeah. As so... if he's um, you know. But I do want to go back to when the grandparents first show up because um immediately it's Brent's parents. So they don't necessarily they're not necessarily trying to kill Selma Blair either. They just want Nick Cage. She the mom pepper sprays Selma Blair. And then the dad immediately stabs Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think it's one of the funnier moments in the movie because yeah, it's just so abrupt. I don't so understand abrupt. why the mom is fighting Selma Blair. I think mostly just so, like, she won't get in the way. Because she doesn't have, again, she doesn't really have a reason to kill her. Mm-hmm. It's more so they just want to kill Nick Cage. And she's going to be in the way of that. But it's just so, there's no, like pleasantries exchange before the attempted murder happens mm-hmm. like he opens the door and is stabbed immediately and he's like yeah i do like that later on while well, you know we have nick cage and his dad fighting mm-hmm. the mom fighting selma blair and we have the moment where right because selma blair is still trying to kill her daughter so we have like three generations trying to kill each other there and then we have three generations trying to kill each other in the garage yes so while that's happening we have selma blair has a Eureka moment where she's like, We don't want to kill our kids. What? You don't remember this? No. She starts trying to convince Nick Cage's mom, like, you we don't want to kill our kids. Why are we doing this? She has like a like a moment, a lapse in like But is she actually do or is she like kind of putting it on? I think that there was like a moment where she felt that way and then she goes back to wanting to kill her daughter. Okay. Well, because her daughter's like begging her not to kill her this whole time, so that we have like a whole like exchange. Of everybody's trying to fight. I want to go back to the car. Yes, because I feel like this is very important. So we have Nick Cage. We have the kid inside the car. Nick Cage trying to kill him through the car, yeah. and the grandpa coming. And the in. grandpa does not want to kill Josh. He's like, "Hey there, sport," because he's not his son. Mm-hmm. So he's like, still a grandpa. It's pretty. It's it, it's pretty funny. I don't know why the grandparents wouldn't want to kill their grandchildren. Like It's if, just their, ch- it's like the immediate children that they yeah. want to kill. Which so. I think is interesting. Why don't you want to kill your other relatives if that's the point of it? That's just not what the static does, baby. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. So we have this all happening, right? And then the kid, I believe Josh turns on the car. Yeah, he like reverses out of the garage that's like... Through clo- the door. Through the garage door. Um, they're like somehow... Basically how this ends up is both grandparents get killed. Um, mm-hmm. Like the grandpa's like thrown through the windshield of the car mm-hmm. and is dead. Um, Selma Blair manages to kill Nick Cage's mom somehow. I don't remember exactly how. Um, I'm pretty sure that... No, Brent starts the car. Mm. Gotcha. I, I thought that it was the kid. Kill, so... Killing both his parents, knocking himself out. Yeah. So, and then... Selma Blair is about to kill her daughter, and then who shows up? The strongest man in all of cinema, Damon. <laughs> it's a, the freaking best boyfriend that's ever existed. Yeah, hits her, hits her in the face with a shovel, and then she's like hard cut to black, 
the Nick Cage and Selma Blair wake up like chained mm-hmm. to like a pole in the basement, and all three kids are kind of just like standing there looking at them. They're they still want to kill them. They're a little they're like, but Selma Blair is also just like we love you so much, like trying to like basically sweet talk them into letting them free. And they're both crying. Yeah, they're crying. All the kids are crying. Like, why were you doing this? We have no idea why you're doing this. And then the final line of the movie uh, is Nick Cage. Um, after Selma Blair is like, we love you kids. Um, Nick Cage is like, but sometimes we just want to cut to black. And yeah. then credits. And that's that's basically mom and dad. Um, there's no resolution, really. It you just, don't know if the hysteria ends. If it ever ends or if this is just forever. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really matter in the end. Um, I'm not sure what... And this is a worldwide phenomenon, by the way. Like, this isn't just in America. In the film, it shows that it's happening all over the world. Does it? Yeah. Okay. On the newscasts and everything. Yeah. I thoroughly... It was like the coronavirus, but parents killing this, children. Yeah, this was, um, like, a prescient film. But yeah, this was my second time seeing this movie. I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, what did you think? Uh, I didn't like... I didn't like the gore. Sure. Um, I do think that this is a better Nicolas Cage film. But before we make final decisions yes. on any of this... Um, I do... Yeah. I do want to wrap up real quick Nick Cage. From what... I haven't seen a ton of his movies from this kind of period of the last few years. But at the time we're recording this, we have already watched Inconceivable, which is going to be part of our next episode. And the feeling I get from a lot of Nick Cage's recent films is that he, like, kind of just, like, swings wildly between actually giving a real performance, like, in this movie and Inconceivable, which we'll talk about. He feels like he's just fucking sleepwalking through. Yeah. With some minor exceptions. There is one scene in that in that film where it feels yeah, that, like Nick Cage. Well, we'll talk about it, but he's mostly kind of sleepwalking through, the, through, through most of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just find it interesting, like, what movies he decides to basically show up for yeah um and i think mom and dad is is one of them but go, go so how, what did this film gross um i found kind of conflicting information um it was only released in like a couple hundred theaters i think worldwide so it was like 169 thousand dollars oh wow roughly um but that's and i the mean budget I feel was like seven million that was like estimated from what i saw i couldn't find a hard number but movies any? like this I feel kind of make most of their money from like on demand people renting it people renting it on demand or buying it um so just what digitally. was the so breakdown for rumblefish um do we have numbers for that I think I do I don't know how really relevant it is like 2.5 million was the final gross for and rumblefish what was the budget 10 million so both of these are deficit yeah um but both of them kind of feel like movies that aren't they're a movie you kind of make when you know you're not going to get, like, a huge mainstream audience isn't really going to flock to something like Mom and Dad, I feel like. Or Rumblefish. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. The 80s were a different time, I guess, but who knows. Um, well, but, I guess yeah. they, didn't know, they didn't think that The Outsiders was going to make as much money as it did. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't... So, um, we are going to move on to our next segment before we do our final judgment on which yes. um, film is moving on to the bracket. Uh-huh. So um, we did the premise of this last time. I'm going to name off ten different reviews from critics and two from so eight from critics, 
two from user. audience, user score, user reviews. And you are going to decide which film you think this You're going to read a line from the review, and I'm going to say whether it's from Rumblefish or from a review for Mom and Dad. Yeah, so. I think it'll be. I think this one will be easier than last time. That's overwrought, overwrought, and overthought. Rumblefish. That's correct. Yes. To the movie's credit and its detriment, it knows what it is. Mom and Dad. Yes. Yes. It is, it's a horribly clever idea which the writer and director uses to craft some devilishly unsettling images. Mom and Dad. Yes. <laughs> this is pretty easy. The penetrating suggestion of its images manages to transport viewers to an incredible and exciting world. Rumblefish. That's correct. This I don't know movie, that I agree with that, but go ahead. This is a movie you already you are likely to hate unless you can love it for its crazy, feverish charm. Mom and Dad. Rumblefish. Oh, you've tricked me. This is undoubtedly not a film for everyone, but anyone who dares to have a little fun will enjoy it. Mom and Dad. Yes. Yes, I agree. Hard Give it a try. It might change your life. Rumblefish. That's correct. Yes. The film's themes and storylines run a, run at different beats and tempos to one another, resulting in plenty of noise but little enjoyment. Mom and Dad. I was kind of hoping you wouldn't get that one. I, was, I almost said Rumblefish. Okay, these are the two user ones. You ready? Okay. Grand says that this is bad. Never watch. <laughs> Rumblefish. Yes. Yes. The plot is non-existent. The acting is awful. Nick Cage is the cherry on top of the shit sandwich. I mean, it has to be mom and dad. I don't agree with this review. <laughs> is it ramen? Yeah, so you got 9 out of 10, correct? Yes. I think I got 8 out of 10 last time. Yeah. Um, so You're doing pretty well. We are now going to decide which of these films is the better Nicolas Cage film. I bet if we say it at the same time, we'll both say the same thing. Okay, do you want to say on the count of three, like one, two, three? One, two, two three. three. Mom and Dad. Yeah, it's definitely Mom and Dad. Yeah. I, I just think... wanted to see if you'd say the same thing as me. <laughs> okay. Uh, I did not say Mom and Dad at first, so it was supposed to be. Yeah, Mom and Rumblefish is a... Not a Nicolas Cage movie. It's not a Nicolas Cage movie. It's a movie that has Nicolas Cage. Um, okay. I think it's a more interesting film than Mom and Dad. It's definitely a more interesting film. It definitely but, has a better feel to it. I think it makes a bigger statement. But, but part of our evaluation has to include Cage's role in it. And Cage um, really just out, he outperformed himself here. He did a really great job in Mom and Dad, I think. It's, it's, it's a real showcase for him. There's a scene when the kids first go into the basement and he calls them motherfuckers and it's like the best line i can't even begin to approximate it i think you can find it online just search nick cage mom and dad and you'll probably get a pretty decent approximation of the kind of performance he's giving in this movie he just went absolutely bonkers here yeah um so mom and dad will be advancing in the bracket sorry rumblefish but next episode we will be discussing inconceivable and Deadfall, Deadfall. Mm-hmm. Um, Inconceivable, I think, was 2017, Deadfall, 1993. Yeah, it's a pretty old movie. So we're kind of doing, again, two different eras of Nick Cage. Should be an interesting discussion. In the meantime, you can follow us at Cage Off Podcast or send us an email saying something at cageoffpodcast at gmail.com. So we will see you again next time. Bye. Goodbye.